friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one, let's go. We're not continuing that conversation on air. <laughs> Fine. I think we will, though, actually. I think it's in here. It's not in there. It's like, are you sure? Is it in there? I don't know if you know. So we're just going to have to surprise you. Uh, I don't make the rules. Maybe Friday, but there is no mailing it in. One, because we don't do that in this show. And two, well, unless Ken reads in. And two, <laughs> ain't no way we're mailing it in after just the 25th sports equinox in the history of time. That's right, kids. Last night featured the NBA, NHL, NFL, and Major League Baseball all playing games last night. Not quite a unicorn, but a little more rare than Sixero pulling out his wallet. And we're glad that you are here to join us for a day like today, even though I'm a little rattled by the conversation that we just had. before. Are we going to do it on air? I think so, yeah. I think so. All right, listen. Uh... The Raptors will try and bounce back from a disastrous opener as they play game two of the season in Boston tonight. Alvin Williams will join us from the Gadden tip-off just past 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet 1. Speaking of Boston, the Astros looking to close out the Red Sox tonight on Sportsnet. Dan Schulman will join us. Faisal Kamisa from Ottawa, site of the first stop of Canada's Women's Soccer Celebration Tour. And what will undoubtedly be the first of many standing ovations for the women's team. I know football fans pick minutes or ideas for when they do it. I hope Ottawa has this all planned out because that should be an incredible standing ovation for a historical achievement. Jess, did you notice in studio, not only do we have the Steph Labbe jersey that we got immediately Mm. after the Olympics because of her wonderful achievements as the keeper in such clutch moments yeah but now Sinky's in studio and not only is Sinclair in studio Sebi can you hook me up with a little raising of the camera oh that reveal I Fonzie love it so that's my Despacito very timely set design it's a good job well we got him today oh okay yeah. I mean, that makes more sense. <laughs> that's, yeah. why, that's why I was pointing it out. Okay, got it. <laughs> we, added, we added to the equation today with a couple of Canada soccer jerseys. All that, two types of football. Nate Burleson will join us to dissect the Thursday nighter and the rest of week number six in the National Football League. But what a night in hockey mm-hmm. last night. First wins for Winnipeg and Calgary. The Oilers remain undefeated. McDavid, another big night. Putting up a lot of points. Might have been what we were talking about before we started the show. And yet, thanks to social media and another loss in Montreal, I got a feeling that the Habs is where we're going to begin first things first. Ruby, take over. First things first. First. As if things couldn't get any worse for the Montreal Canadiens, they did. Yeah. They did. The Carolina Hurricanes rolled in. Wasn't pretty. 4-1 loss by the Habs to the Hurricanes. Now the fun 
begins. One of the goal scorers was former Hab, Jesperi Kotkaniemi. He made it 3-1 in the third period mm -hmm. and off. Yes, he did. Hurricane, Hurricanes Twitter went. There we go, 9.16 p.m. It happened. It actually happened. And we have known the Carolina Hurricanes over time to do a little bit of a trolling job from time to time, but didn't stop there. With it happened, it actually oh, they, happened in they reference were, to Yasperi Kakiemi. They were ridiculous with the trolling last night. They the went off. One. This is the big one. 9.43 p.m. Did the Habs lose.com? Now, here is what originally the link would take you to. Okay. Did the Habs lose? Yes. That's funny. 24 hour, $20 shirt sale, promo code WE. That, all that's really, really good. Well, in the last little while, that website hacked. That's what it says now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice little counter. That's what a nice counter. Yeah. But evidently, the Carolina Hurricanes do not suck because they did win the game last night, and they proceeded to just dance all over the Montreal Canadiens. That 2018 draft, though, posting a picture of Kotkin Yemi and Svechnikov, and then at the end, the nice little topper. Have a good night, everyone, with a game recap of yet another loss for the Montreal Canadiens and one. That stings a little bit more, probably, considering as Barry Cottonkami comes back and scores. Uh, did you find this as entertaining as I did and everybody else did? I, I was in awe, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like, did the Habs lose.com? Genius. Like, that is unbelievable. The price of the shirts, I don't know if you noticed, they were 20 bucks yeah. for the shirts. There was a flash sale on shirts. Kotkaniemi and Aho, both $20. Aho's numbers and KK's signing bonus. By the way, the promo code was WE, the French word for yes. Got that, yes. Not WE, not W-E. It was O-U-I, WE. Uh, copyright was a bunch of jerks. So uh, we reacted like a lot of people reacted on Twitter. And uh, our reaction, if you can take my computer, uh, Mr. Mattyboy. There's our reaction. So that was, that was like a lot of people. The internet then reacted. Uh, I just took Noah's uh, tweet of <laughs> Elliot Friedman looking kind of sort of sad, kind of sort of concerned. Uh, I thought that was amusing oh, and chuckled at the turtleneck that I saw on Elliot Friedman. Um, Kane's fans reacted despite their terrible Photoshop skills. Uh, and I took that personally, <laughs> going with the Michael Jordan KK reference here. Uh, other teams ended up rubbernecking at the reaction. Anthony tweets at the Avalanche. Have you seen the Avalanche respond by saying, oh, we've seen. Oh, we've seen. It just didn't stop. I think we got the perfect pause on our socials. It was meant to be as Jesperi Kakanyemi was smile. interviewed after. And just the smile. The, I, I believe that's not even a smile. I believe that is the epitome of, I believe that's the definition. I believe if you look up bleep eating grin in the dictionary, this would come up. Him speaking post game about his first goal in his first game in Montreal. I was in awe. Yeah. It was. 2021 personified? Can't you just picture like uh, a 20 year old on social media running the Carolina Hurricanes account, probably working remotely somewhere, just cre just creatively like, here's what I'm gonna do if Kakinyemi scores, strategizing, pointing his glasses. Like I right. just I just feel like it's laughing hysterically. Exactly. This is 2021. This is how you build rivalries in 2021. Now they're gonna play again, and then what happens? Then everyone's expecting 
the Habs to respond mm -hmm. on Twitter, mm -hmm. the Carolina Hurricanes to do exactly what they just did and maybe even up the ante a little bit. Mm -hmm. This is great for hockey, is it not? All in good fun. Kind of real fun. I get it. Offer sheet, let's go. I'm going to stop the fun and frivolity for a split second <laughs> because kicking kids while they're down ain't all that high on my list of things to do. And at risk of being the old man in the room, I understand it, Jesse. Hey, look, we screwed them, didn't we? Like, it was cute at first. I was laughing. I was chuckling. Then we're better than this team. Then this franchise is a mess. And, oh, yeah, what's the context here? Who cares? There's no context whatsoever. They're just piling on. For me, there is some context here, and it's not so cute. Carey Price is getting himself right in the player assistant program. Joel Edmondson is tending to his father who is struggling with cancer. And Shea Weber may never play the game of hockey again. But yeah, we dunked on their ass. We rubbed it in their face and we did it over and over and over again. And you get it, all in good fun. I guarantee you Montreal isn't worried about this nonsense right now. They're more worried about the idea that for just the second time in their history, they have started the season without a point through five games and could be the first team in NHL history to follow an appearance in the Stanley Cup final with a six-game losing streak to start the season. That's on the line on Saturday. But if I'm Carolina, I'm glad I got the hits in and had some fun. But sometimes it's about reading the room. And even if the room loved it, like Jesse did, sometimes the room don't read. I do. This is some pucks don't lie-ish. And when you dance on other people's misfortune, sometimes those people don't forget. And I hope that Montreal doesn't forget about this because they are down right now. And I felt like it was, I felt like the first couple were funny and I chuckled. Mm -hmm. Then after a while, it was like, it was like Ralph in the Simpsons schoolyard. Stop it. Well, what do they say? What, what goes around comes around, karma, all of those cliches. Hey, listen, if you're in Tobacco Row, you know ball don't lie. This mm -hmm. is puck don't lie for me. And that's karma. Like, there is a little bit of karma in all of this. And I'm all for the fun. I laugh too. Mm -hmm. After a while, I was just like, you need to be careful here. And I'm the old man in the room, and I'm okay all in it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're wrong. I think those points are very well taken, especially given the Montreal Canadiens' struggles and, and the, the personal play, the players that are, are dealing with personal struggles. I, I totally understand that. Uh, it is about reading the room. What I will say is that the Carolina Hurricanes probably have their own mandate to try and grow their fan base, of get do. clicks, do those sorts of things. And if you're looking at it from that perspective, it was a mission accomplished for them. But... It could think, have left a, a sour taste in some people's mouths. I completely understand You don't that. think Esperi Kakanyemi's former teammates aren't like, what the hell just happened here? But he's not in control of that, right? Like, they're not, I don't think they're angry at Esperi Kakanyemi for what happened last night. He doesn't have anything to do with the, what the social media team is tweeting out, right? Yeah, and I guess our pause caught him in a bad spot, and it didn't Grim, feel like yeah. he was happy about burying his former team. Like, and, and listen... It's okay to be happy about burying your yeah. former team, but they're going through some ish right now. Yeah. Like, a lot of ish. And, like, there was just a big smile and the $6.1 million and all that. And I'm not suggesting for any second that he shouldn't have taken the money that Carolina offered him. They offered him significantly more than the Habs did. But 
All the Habs did here was use the rules that were afforded to them to sign a guy to an offer sheet that made the negotiations for Carolina easier with Sebastian Ajo. And they're taking it to this whole new level. Yeah. Like they're dunking on them at a time when the Habs are in like deep caca. It just, and I don't want to say caca because that makes it kind of funny. But I can't say the other word that I want to say. Yeah, I'm smiling. Uh, No, I I completely understand that. And uh, I, I do wonder tweet in if you have the same opinion as Timmy because I'm sure no there's one some will people. no I, I think there's some people out there that I guarantee resonate. you the vast majority of people watching right now are like ah you're taking it too seriously and I'm gonna say to you right now how do you think Brendan Gallagher took it mm-hmm. he's online all the time I guarantee you next time around next game they play each other a few of those guys will take that personally if they're human beings sometimes you gotta zig when everybody else is zagging so there we go Uh, We should stay on the ice, though, because a lot of happenings for the Canadian teams. The Senators lost to the Sharks in Brady Kachuk and Eric Carlson's returns. A depleted Winnipeg Jets lineup picked up the team's first win of the season, 5-1 over the Ducks. The Flames also picking up their first win of the season, shutting out the Wings 3-0, while the Canucks bounce back with a 4-1 win over the Blackhawks. And in Edmonton, the Oilers kept rolling. Connor McDavid scoring his 200th career goal in a 5-1 win over Arizona. You have the freedom to go wherever you want as it pertains to Canadian teams. Josh writes in and says, nice rant, Tim, but maybe if the Habs fans weren't so brutal to KK at the Bell Center, mm. the return fire wouldn't have been as epic. Yeah, Talk I don't get why he was karma. booed. Why was he booed? It, like, I don't understand. Because he, he left the team. Yeah, but he's a professional athlete. They're offering him more money than he's probably worth. It's a business, strictly a business decision. It, it, you know what the interesting part of that response is to me? I would love, like... We don't know that KK wouldn't eventually gotten that money. Like, it'll be interesting to me to see how he does in yeah. Carolina and then what the money is moving forward. Because for this year, without a doubt, run and go. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you're building to something. And the fans had a, someone give them the Heisman yeah. and just move on. And you can't just tell me, like, I'm sure his agent turned to him and said at some point, you know Montreal's eventually going to pay you, right? Maybe, maybe, because if he if he ended up being what he was in Montreal and didn't take that next step, then they're not going to pay him this kind of money. They were never going to, right? Because he was he was a prospect and he also sat in the press box during the playoffs. He did he did sit in the press. So there was um, I think consternation on behalf of the Canadians that he wasn't going to be able to take that next step and he wouldn't have gotten paid if that was the case. You don't think you don't think that the Habs thought he could take that next step. I, th- I think it's complicated because of what they had available to pay him at the time. Right. I, I think probably and some of the organization and thought they, he would, and, and some didn't. Money, and now they gave the money to Suzuki. Yes, and they thought they could build their team in, in better ways without him. So I guess that the answer to your question is more people thought he wouldn't take that step. You think that more people thought he wouldn't take that step in Montreal? I think they would have figured out a way to pay him if they did. This time around? Yeah, you, you have to. If If... I would say to you, if Carolina gave him a five-year deal, mm-hmm. then I would listen. Carolina didn't give him a five-year deal. Right. They gave him a one-year deal. Yeah. And they did that to screw the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. The reason it's complicated is because the salary cap issues that they had were, they handcuffed them dramatically. Well, they knew what they were doing. Dramatically. Unlike Mark Bergeron the first time around. Exactly. When he just negotiated for Don Waddell yeah. in Carolina. Uh, you want to talk about McDavid? All right. Uh, I, I, we can talk about the rest of... 
the National Hockey League mm. and the rest of the Canadian teams, which is what you offered up to me. And first wins, of course, they're important. Uh, Calgary gets their first win. Winnipeg gets their first win. But yes, the Oilers' run to start the season is pretty damn interesting, even if it is the Coyotes. Like Edmonton just won a two teams off to a 4 0 start with the Florida Panthers. But Connor scoring his 200th and 201st uh, game after Leon got his 200th, the power play clicking at, I don't know, just 50%. Even Miko Koskinen has some nice numbers. It's got to have Northern Alberta feeling pretty damn fine. Listen, Golden Knights. Different tonight. Goaltending is about to be tested, but Dave Tippett challenged this team in the preseason, and they have responded. I think the most encouraging part of this is the line of Fogel, Ryan, and Cassian. Like, on the road, it looks like they're going to split up Leon and Connor, and if you have a third line playing like that, I'm telling you right now, that's a difference maker for this team. Because you know that Connor is going to do what Connor does. Leon's going to do what Leon does. If they have scoring depth, the real deal. So Connor has 11 points in four games. He has 11 points in four games. I believe the number that you were talking about when it comes to his regular season output for the year was 160. 160, yeah. Would you like to uh, enlighten the viewers as to what pace he's on at the moment? <laughs> so Jesse is talking to me before the show starts about pace. And I said, we're four games in, Jesse. And he's like, I'm not asking you that. What's the pace? And so I do the math, and it's 225 and a half points is what Connor McDavid's on pace for. And Jesse gives me like a mic drop. <laughs> yeah, he gives me the eyebrows. He gives me the mic. It's 220. And I go, listen, like pace after four games is probably not what you want to hang your hat on. Though I do know that 11 points in four games is really good. But I don't even know what we're arguing about because what I'm saying is that the 160 number that you gave mm -hmm. is so unbelievably in play. Like, it is very much in play, and we're, I'm thinking, I'm, like... I'm telling you, talk to me about that after 10 games, not after 4 but games. It, or talk to me after that about 15 games, not 4 games. But, but why? It's not like he doesn't have a track record. This isn't his first game. You, were ta you gave the reference of Austin Matthews, 4 goals. Right. Completely different. That was one game. Connor McDavid, how it's many are Ross? 4 games. 4 games. Oh, my a, God. But That's he has a, a track huge. record of his whole career already. He well, had a, how many... Hold on. Okay, so what's the... What did he have last year? A hmm. hundred and... Let me, let me pull it up. 105 in 56. 105 points in 56 games right, last so year. So what's that pace? It's high. high. Like close to 160. Sorry? Close to 160. 160. Right. Close to, so add the four games onto the 150. I won't even take the rest of his career. What's that pace? I think we should up it to 175 is what I'm saying. <laughs> no. I'm not against it. I'm just saying 225 after four games. You can't take pace after four games. I'm saying he's unbelievable. And it's a treat I'm to watch. I'm agreeing with it's you. It's so much fun. And, and, they're, and they're so good. No. Like I think the Oilers are good. And I said this last week too. I said I think, I think the Oilers are really good. I think you're talking your way out of coming to the realization that this pace thing <laughs> after four games might not be the road that you want to walk down. It might not be the hill that you want to die on, even though before we started the show, it felt like you were going to die on this hill. Three Art Rosses already. That's all I'm going to say. Okay? <laughs> He's good. I just... He's really good. You think 225 is really in play? No, I don't. Okay. I think like 180, 185. Wouldn't shock me. Wouldn't but shock me. Let, me. let me just say this. 160, five years ago, what, 
163 years ago was unfathomable. I, com- I understand that completely. So to say that he's going to get to 160 is even a stretch. And I love that we're having this conversation because it means that we're watching greatness. Yes. And that you should appreciate this greatness. 100%. And I, I hope to see him get to 180 and 185. I hope to see him get to 225 and I can shut the hell up. But I watched Gretzky in his prime. Like, there were 9-2 games all the time. There were 9-6 games all the time. It's re- it would be really, really hard to get to 225. Uh, a good point that I meant to bring up that... Uh, that someone helped you with? Someone helped me with. Connor has 47 points over his last 18 games with a pace of 215. So, yes, it's in play. 47 points over his last 18 regular season games. That's still not a big... It's an 82 games... Okay. It's almost a quarter of a season. It's fine. All I'm saying is that we, ha- we should have a pace tracker whenever we talk about McDavid. We, we did last year. Yeah. So like, I literally thousand, did that last year. <laughs> and I'm just... I, like, I did that. I walked this road, and I'm telling you, it's a little too early for the that's, on-pace. That's a very, very fair That's point. all I'm saying. Very fair, but fun to get carried away sometimes. All right. All right, let's go to basketball. And we're about two hours away from tip-off between the Raptors and Celtics. You can watch that on Sportsnet. One, Raptors pregame gets going at 7 Eastern. The Raps looking for a quick bounce back after a somewhat deflating opening night. I mean, a lot to chew on from game one, Timmy. What are you looking for from this season and, I guess, specifically tonight against a rival in the Celtics? Scoring consistency. I am looking for consistently consistency scoring the ball. And uh, OG Ananobi and Fred Van Vliet is where I'm going to start. Uh, last year, the Boston Celtics were 14th in the league in defensive efficiency. Mm-hmm. And so there might be an opportunity for them to score a little bit here today. I asked Nick Nurse in, on media day, um, and I, know I was just looking at the time to see how much time we have left. In this, but I spoke to Nick Nurse on media day, and one of the things I asked him was, how are you going to score mm-hmm. this year? Who's going to do this scoring? And he said to me, the system is going to do some of the scoring and we're going to have to develop. And my answer is, I need to see that system start scoring. And I also need to, and Raptor fans need to see the development happen quickly here or it's going to be a very long year for the Toronto Raptors. So again, Nick Nurse. His answer to where the hell they were going to get the scoring from, especially with Pascal Siakam out, was the system, and they're going to need to develop. So if you're a Raptor fan, those are the two things that you're looking for tonight. And I don't know how you develop scoring this quickly in the season. They're going to have to do a bunch of things here, including some different sets, some different looks, and I'd be very interested in the rotation this time around to see if, in fact... Speaking of small sample sizes, the Delano Blanton Blanton, uh, look that we saw late in the game, will you see that earlier? See if it has some legs. Uh, Okay. I mean, the Celtics and Raptors, something weird and funky always happens when they play, so it'll be fun to watch. To baseball we go, and those Los Angeles Dodgers aren't going down without a fight. Again, L.A. taking out the Big Bats Thursday night against Max Fried and the Braves. The Dodgers hitting five home runs in an 11-2 win. Can they do this again? Timmy. I said yesterday that I didn't think they could, but I added one caveat, one Wolan, then Nostradamus over here. Maybe I should reel back on the small sample sizes. Maybe Connor McDavid is going to end up with 225 and a half points this year because he took the reins on my caveat and he saw into the future. 
Los Angeles had won 18 and 19 going back to the regular season before their loss mm-hmm. in game number four. They had won six consecutive postseason elimination games going back to last year. Like, they've been there, they've done that. And when you look at what could be on the horizon in terms of starters, I know there's a lot of people in L.A. just praying if they can somehow get to Max Fried, this could get interesting. I mean, it's the Dodgers. So would you? Would anybody be surprised if the Dodgers, they hit five home runs and they win a game tonight? Deep into left field, A.J. Pollock puts the Dodgers on the board. And Taylor, way back. Goodbye. Taylor in the air to center field. That ball's on the barrel. That ball is deep, and she is gone. Chris Taylor, not one, not two, but three. Three-run blast, A.J. Pollock. Honestly, I just got lucky. It was a Hail Mary throw at the end of a conversation. I can't really take that much credit for it. I appreciate the applause, though. I could have said any number. I just happened to come up with five. Got lucky. We'll see if you can get lucky with your NFL picks as we unveil them a little later on in the show. Alvin Williams joins us from Boston where the Raptors (laughs) are getting set to tackle the Celtics. Shulman from Houston had a game six ALCS. Faisal Kamisa. Ottawa Canadian women's soccer celebration to her Nate Burleson, our friend, to break down the week that is in the National Football League. Plus, Jesse and I will look to stay hot with our picks against the spread and the best of the week all on tap. Tim and friends on a Friday. Let's get this over with. Chris Taylor, not one, not two, but three. And game five is Chris Taylor's game. Shane loads up, scores! The tip in front, Yasperi Kakaniemi scores, returning to the Bell Center. What a dagger. Dearness Johnson. I think we know who's getting the game ball after this one. Man, it's unexplainable, man. It's always a dream come true just to come out here, you know, and, and play this game and just be able to start. Outside of those thought he was a strike. Jason Castro delivers. 
as Bradley blows it open here in the ninth. Into the monster seats for Jordan. Alvarez three for three. He just drove in two with a double. The Houston Astros are one win away from an American League pennant. Speaking of Grand Slams, want to welcome those who are watching Draw 15 of the Pinty's Grand Slam of Curling Masters uh, live from Oakville. Draw 16 is on Sportsnet now at 7 p.m. Eastern. But stick around. We're talking a little baseball. And to talk a little baseball from the ALCS in Houston is our good friend Dan Schulman, who joins me now. Danny boy, welcome back to the show. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Always good to talk with you, Tim. All right, so last night the Dodgers plant a little seed of doubt in the minds of the Atlanta Braves. How do the Boston Red Sox do this on the road for two in Houston? Well, it's the old cliche, but you just got to take them one at a time. And forgive me for starting off our interview with a cliche <laughs> right. uh, as worn as that. But they they just need Nathan Avaldi to go out there, and whether it's five or five and a third or six or six and a third, whatever it is, it starts with with Nathan Avaldi. They obviously can't fall behind huge like they have. Um, both teams have, ha have 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 fallen behind huge early yeah. in games. So I think it starts with with Avaldi. Um, and you just hope for some better at bats from guys. You know, Kike Hernandez had been the hottest hitter on the planet. He's been quiet the last couple of games. They haven't gotten anything out of Hunter Renfro down near the bottom of the order. Uh, I think they feel they're going to hit. Evaldi, to me, is the early key in this game for the Red Sox. It's so funny to look at the pitching matchup and see an ERA of 551 on a guy named Big Game Nate and an ERA on Garcia of over 24. But these are like two of the best hitting lineups in all of baseball. And you couple that with some rotations that have struggled, struggled a wee bit. Like, I have no idea how you predict what we're about to see in Game 6 and if needed in Game 7. No, it, and I'm glad you're not going to ask me to predict it because <laughs> yeah. whatever I say, it'll, it'll go the other way. It's been, it's been an incredibly unpredictable series. You know, four of the five games, the, the final score has been a blowout. One of them didn't get crazy till the ninth inning, but still three of the five games have legitimately been blowouts right here. And I think of all these certainly better than those numbers would indicate. He didn't pitch great uh, in, the, in, in the relief appearance, but one of the guys was an intentional walk. He came around to score that boosts up your ERA. I'm really curious to see what's going on with Luis Garcia. He was really good during the regular season. And he did make one postseason outing last year, two scoreless innings. Now, it's different this year. There are fans in the house. The stakes feel a little bit higher, but he has been knocked around hard in both of his outings so far in the playoffs. They don't necessarily need six out of them, but they need more than an inning plus a batter, which is what they got last time. Normally, I'd talk about the Astros, and I'd say home field is big to them because they're a team that can hit the ball. They know how to play in that park. It's a little – it's a nuanced park, just like Fenway. But it seems like – if, if there's one team that can nullify that home field advantage, it's Boston because they're built for a similar park. I, I think there's something to that, but, I, but I, again, the parks are similar in many ways. 
but I think Houston really thrives on their crowd. Remember, okay. this is a team that gets booed hard everywhere, everywhere. else that yeah, they go, true, more yeah. than any other team in baseball. So I think coming home means a lot to them. And Alex Cora, just a few minutes ago, described the Houston offense uh, to me and Eduardo Perez. As, it's like a fast-break offense. Once they get going, it's hard to stop them. And he's right. Uh, two strikes, two outs. Once they get going, they keep getting their base hits. Um, and, and actually, James Click, the general manager of the Astros, just said he has never been around a culture of hitting like exists here with the Houston Astros, whether it's the coaches, whether it's the players. They're so detail-oriented. They're so intelligent. Um, there's so much talking about hitting. And whether it's an older guy like a Yuli Gurriel or a younger guy like a Kyle Tucker, I think there's great sharing of information for these Astros. And, and I agree with Alex Cora. Once they get going, it's hard to stop them. I won't make the crack about the sharing of information with the Astros. I'll just move on like the rest of us should, or at least try, or at least try to. Um, it seems like the way Framber Valdez went out and finished uh, eight innings strong, then you get Ryan Stanton. It was almost the perfect ending for Dusty Baker in game five, wasn't it? Absolutely, because after game three, their pitching staff was a shambles, an yeah. absolute mess. And then in game four, they didn't get a deep start either. And Dusty had to go through like five different relievers to win that game. So even coming into game five, yeah, it was back to 2-2, but the Astros' bullpen had been used so extensively. Framber Valdez giving them eight innings plus the off day, and all of a sudden things are back to normal. And the Astros look pretty good. I don't know if they have Christian Javier tonight, who was so great in game four when he went three innings. They've got Luis Garcia. They've got Jake Odorizzi as a long man if they need him. And they've got their guys. They've got Rayleigh and Taylor from the left side. They've got Kendall Graveman. Uh, obviously, they've got Ryan Presley uh, after a day off. But it, it's amazing. If you had said to me after game three, what do you think is going to happen the next two days? I would have said, I think I'm flying home from Boston after game five for three days before the World Series starts. Wow. And now you're back in Houston with the Astros having a chance to wrap it up. I, I never would have seen this coming, the way their pitching staff, how depleted it looked a couple of days ago. Uh, Danny, I don't know if you know this, but every interview that I've had with you during these playoffs, I've ended or come close to ending with, I know you do your research, and every once in a while there's a matchup that you see when you're doing your research <laughs> that may come to fruition, and you've been pretty damn good on them. Is there anything in this game six okay. that you're looking at in these numbers that you rifle through, in the conversations that you have with the managers and, and with your color analyst? Is there anything that we can maybe see into the future with? No. <laughs> that's, awesome. that's awesome. Nothing. Zero. Uh, um, I, I, I'm a blank slate. Um, <laughs> I, I would say what I'm really curious about um, it, it is the we talked about it a little bit the the real early at bats um, against Evaldi. How does Evaldi look? Alex Cora swears he's 100% good to go. The 24 pitches in Game Four won't impact him at all. But uh, I'm really curious to see the first inning. Like, does Altuve try to ambush him on a first pitch fastball? Maybe does Evaldi think that and he throws him a first pitch slider or splitter on? In, uh, like I'm talking about right. the very first pitch Wait, in the bottom yeah. of the first inning. To me, the bottom of the first inning, yeah, the bottom of the first inning uh, is, if I had to pick one half inning as one that might decide it, it's the bottom of the first inning. All right, uh, before I let you go, Dodgers got a chance in that NLCS or going to Houston? Yeah, oh, you yeah. Know, oh yeah, before I even finish. 
Oh, yeah. Well, a couple of reasons. One, they're, they're the Dodgers. And even without Kershaw and Muncie and Turner, they're still great. And uh, have you found any Atlanta Brave fans who feel good, who feel confident no. <laughs> right now? I mean, the yeah, no, no. I mean, the Dodgers did this last year, right? People forget they were down three to one last year when they came back and won it. Um, assuming Max Scherzer is through that fatigued arm, dead arm thing, and he's fine, um, and, and who knows who will win. But I, I want that series to have a game seven. I want Walker Bueller and Charlie Morton and game seven. I think that would be fantastic. But absolutely, the Dodgers still have a chance. Uh, awesome. Great catching up with you. Thank you very much for doing this. And uh, we'll talk again soon. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. Uh, there is the finally quaffed Dan Schulman getting ready to call game six on the ESPN family of channels and Sportsnet 5.9 of the fan in Toronto. Steve Quimby, uh, we're having a little conversation about how hard Carolina went at Montreal yesterday mm-hmm. on social media. And Steve wrote into the show and said, whatever happened to sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. T- Twitter is just words. Come on, Tim. Stop taking the stuff posted on Twitter so seriously People nowadays have to grow some and then adds a basketball and a soccer ball. If you think that people don't take the words typed, like Twitter might be anonymous for the users, but the people who are at the end of the shotgun that is social media right now, if you think there are no consequences to those actions, you got another thing coming. Like, I don't even see a shred of what other people see, and sometimes I'm absolutely disgusted by it. I, like, people with this idea right now in these times must not talk to any athletes out there because I guarantee you there are thousands of athletes out there who feel the complete opposite to what Steve just wrote in, thinking that he was making a point about Twitter and just having some good old fun with the Habs. Just because you're not experiencing it doesn't mean it's not happening. Right. And I listen, I don't like I, you shouldn't take it to heart, but I'm sorry. If you read it at all, you can't help but take it to heart. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of athletes who feel that way. Uh, still to come, we'll go live to Boston where the Raptors are getting set to take on the Celtics tonight. But up next is our Friday tradition. It's the best of the week, and we'll do it. We'll try and make you smile. Even you, Steve, next right here on Tim and Pat. I love this. Steve wrote in. We'll do the best of the week in a flash. Steve wrote back to us. Steve Quimby on Twitter. Thanks for reminding me, Tim and friends, that the people the tweets are about are real people. That is forgotten sometimes. I'm just tired of being upset all the time. Wish we could all just get along and be happy. Cheers. Steve, that's impossible. However, I agree with you. We should just be happy a lot more and we should all get along a little better more often. And we'll try with the best of the week. Here's how it works. We comb through the internet looking for the best of the week. We show you the options. Then you can head to our Twitter account, at Tim and Friends, to vote on your favorite. On Thursday, former Detroit Lions linebacker Chris Spielman thought he was being brought to tape an announcement, inducting some of the legends into their ring of honor. Well, after some reading of the teleprompter and a surprise visit from the team owner, Spielman, couldn't hold back his emotions when he realized it was actually him being inducted into the Hall of Fame. So here to, here to 
You get half a step to your right. Good. Yeah. On Sunday, October 31st, we take on the Philadelphia Eagles. We're celebrating the Lions Legends community as part of our annual homecoming, celebrating at Ford. Ah. All right, here we go. On Sunday, October 31st, when we take on the Philadelphia Eagles, we're celebrating the Lions Legends community as part of our annual homecoming celebration at Ford Field. At halftime, we will honor one of the greatest Lions ever. Four-time Pro Bowl selection, he helped the team to four playoff appearances, two NFL Central titles, and a berth in a 1992 NFC Championship game. What are you guys doing here, man? <laughs> Keep reading. <laughs> he led the defense for eight seasons and is the Lions' all-time leader in career tackles, 1,138. Now he'll be in the newest inductee, Team's Ring of Honor, the pride of the Lions. Congratulations, Chris. You guys got me. I thought I was aware of all this. <laughs> that's awesome. That's that's tough to watch. Like I get the onions out. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, the Lions haven't gotten many things right this season. They got that right. That was well executed. Speaking of well executed, Bills fans have mastered the art of slamming through tables. That's right. These Buffalo fans decided to take it up a notch at their wedding by bringing the tailgate right to the reception. Does anyone think Bill's Mafia is going too far? That's dangerous. <laughs> and Zitzery went with that? Yeah, yeah that's, that's dangerous. Good. That's fun. Uh, what are the odds that happens at your week uh, your wedding next weekend? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bills fans, uh, calm down a little bit. <laughs> Knicks fans, I don't know if I can calm them down. Case in point, video from the streets, Midtown Manhattan, Wednesday after game one of the season, albeit double overtime versus the Celtics. Uh, we worked our sensors hard on this one. Double overtime! What the f baby? New York is back! Knicks are here, baby! The Knicks are here, baby! Fresh out the corner, baby! We're taking it all the way! We had De Blasio, we had Cuomo, it was rough s but we have the Knicks! Not New York! Knicks run New York City! Bing bong! Coming up, so Katie, don't you regret not coming to the Knicks! Don't you regret not coming to the Knicks! Let's go, Knicks! Let's go Knicks! Let's go Knicks! Let's go Knicks! Real talk, I'm from New York, and you know what? Tom Brady's a f Tom Brady, huh? Tom Brady. Where the bread at, Tom Brady? I need some bread. He owe me, Boston. Yo, you thought Trey Young was still good? He still ain't good at Dyke, man. He's smoking on that Boston pack tonight, you right? Trey Young! Trey Young! Trey Young! Trey Young! There's a lot of overstated there. The brilliance is in the understated. 
the ding dong in the yes. middle of it. I don't know if you caught it. Oh yeah. But I, there's so many things in that layer of onion that we peel back. I've watched it at least 15 times. <laughs> I get minimum. Our final better. nominee you saw right here on Tuesday's show. During our interview with Masai Ujiri, I asked a question about drafting Scotty Barnes with the fourth overall pick and the man himself just happened to be in and around the gym, stopped by for an update on the vibes. Okay, so is, is Scotty close to you right now? Like, if I ask you a question about Scotty, can you speak, like, uh, your mind, or is he right there and he's going to hear everything that you say? Scotty! <laughs> I don't see him, so I can't so ask me. Tell me. All right. I will lie. A, lo- a lot of fans <laughs> wanted you to take Jalen Suggs over Scotty. These are one of those things that can come back and haunt you. Are you comfortable that that player that we are zooming out to see is is the right guy for you guys 100 percent, 100 percent. and look this things uh, this is why we do our jobs we've done our homework we've oh is he right here just come say hello say come say hi tell him we say sorry and then you can yeah we say sorry yeah yeah, yeah you, i know you've been on their show before say what's so, up how y'all doing you know the vibes scotty barnes <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> Tell him sorry to interrupt. I know he can't hear me. Hey, we're going to be two hours here, so you can't work out. <laughs> you wait. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know he's a rookie when he says we'll wait. Uh, that's awesome. All right, that's the final nominee. Head over to our Twitter account, at Tim and Friends, to make your pick. And if you missed any of the nominees, you can find them on Twitter as well. We'll reveal the best of the week winner at the end of the show. All right, time for another quick break. It was an ugly start to the season for Masai's Raptors. Can they turn things around against the Celtics tonight? We go live to Boston, Alvin Williams next. Tim and Friends. Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheep Dogs. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Here with you for another 30 minutes on Sportsnet Full Hour, Sportsnet 360. Hockey Central coming up 6.30 Eastern on Sportsnet. Later tonight, Game 6 ALCS between the Red Sox and the Astros. Coverage starts MLB Central at 7.30 Eastern time. While we draw 16 at the Grand Slam of Curling Masters. The Masters. Can be seen at 7 Eastern on Sportsnet now. Got it good and since you understood, we've also got a basketball game on the network. The Raptors looking to bounce back from their disappointing season opener as they visit the Celtics tonight. Boston also lost their first game, though it was a little different. In double overtime to the Knicks on Wednesday, which ignited the crowd out in front of MSG, as you just saw. You can see tonight's game in Sportsnet 1 starting with the pregame show, 7 Eastern. Got all that? I hope you do. I hope you're writing it down and taking notes. It is the regular season debut of our new analyst, Alvin Williams, who will be alongside Matt Devlin for the call tonight. And he joins me courtside in Boston. What up, Al? What's up, buddy? What's going on? Well, you know, just uh, working up here. In my, I'm, I'm not courtside in Boston. I love, like, where does the gar- I know it's not the old school garden, but where does the garden rank in the visiting gyms that meant something to you? Oh, that's a good one. It's a good one. I didn't have the greatest games here, but 
just being here in Boston, the crowd is crazy. And just me growing up watching Larry Bird, Dennis Johnson, all these guys. So just being here is something you know. And you still see some people. I see Cornbread Maxwell, you know, he does radio and TV for the Celtics. So getting be, being here is something special. So we're like, is, is Philly for, Philly's the hometown. So I wonder if it's number one on like MSG, like, and they were good when you were playing. So it wasn't like, you know, uh, the, the two decades of uh, terribleness that we've seen over the last little while. But we're, like, where does it go for you? What's the rankings for visiting gyms that, uh, that hold nearest and dearest to Alvin Williams' heart? New York is definitely number one. Yeah. New York, the Mecca, the yeah. Mecca is nothing <laughs> like that. You have the you have the organs playing. You have the the lights, and you know right there they just have the. It's dark everywhere else, but on the court it's like a spotlight. So you know you're in a big city, and I've always got a chance to play there, even when I was at Villanova. So right. that was always good. The Big East tournaments, we got a chance to win a championship, and then we won a playoff series when I was here with Toronto. So. MSG is the is, that's the Dundada. Yeah, that's, I love the Supercat reference there. Uh, all right, so <laughs> what what are you expecting to see from the Toronto Raptors after what was for almost every Raptor fan a very disappointing game one? You know, it's a bounce back. You know, you're playing on a road. It's the Celtics home opener, and they have some great players. But, you know, when you have a young team like the Raptors, they're very young. You want them to learn from every experience, and that's the biggest thing. So you want them to bounce back. They're not going to shoot as poorly as they shot in game one, their first game of the season. So that's a big part. Defensively, I thought they were pretty good. You know, they held the Wizards under 100 points, and they were doing – they had some rotations. They got back into the game and near the end in the fourth quarter. So you know that team has to fight. We're used to Toronto Raptors teams having fight. So that was that's still there. But I do look for them, you know, the offense to start being more fluid. I look for a bigger game from Fred and OG. And then they'll have a better game. They'll be a much better game, I believe, and they'll still be competitive. So let me ask you a little bit, because I feel like Washington's a better team, and I don't know if a lot of people gave them the credit that they deserved defensively because of how bad it was offensively. But did you see things in that game that tell you that this could be a good defensive team? The Washington Wizards or the, or the Raptors? The Raptors. I feel like Washington's better. The Do you Raptors. agree with the okay. Washington being better yeah, first no, off? 100%. Yeah. 100%. The pieces they've added, you yeah. know, 100%. And you still have Bradley Bill. So, yeah, they are a much better team than last year. But the Raptors, I thought defensively they still showed that potential to be very special on defense because they have – people that can guard multiple positions they have a lot of energy they have length so that disturbs that disturbs offenses when you can get deflections you can contest shots the only thing you have to do is make sure you're deliberate you you're, you're very deliberate in your game plan you're not getting lost on switches a lot of times looking at the film back I saw people not talking on defense. So you saw two people guarding one. So it's that miscommunication. But you have to grow into that. Like I said, it's the young players. It's new guys on the team. So that comes over time. So that's the one thing. But they definitely, the Raptors have definitely have the potential to be a special defensive team. And if you can just get secure their ball rebounding. They didn't do a bad job rebounding. But clogging up and defending that paint is something else that helps your defense defense tremendously okay I'm not gonna sit up here and act like uh, OG and Fred are gonna have that game offensively often but I wonder did you see them pressing giving the fact that there aren't a lot of established scorers on this team and they're going to have to do a bulk of the scoring especially without Siakam in the lineup 
I don't, I don't think they were pressing. No. I mean, we know they're capable of scoring. You know, Fred's been lighting it up. OGs had big games. They've hit game winners. They've been they've been through the fire. So they're they're at a point in their career where they're not going to be pressing, but they do have a different responsibility, and they have to figure that out. They to be be straight up, they can't have those type of games. Many many of those type of games because the Raptors will not have much of a chance, you know, to be competitive or win those games. So those guys definitely have to step it up, and they'll they'll figure it out. And they could do a good job of putting them in position to to alleviate some of the pressures that they may feel because teams they're going to hone in on those guys. They know those are the guys that can really hurt you. Those are the guys that's going to carry the the scoring load for the most part. So teams are defensively they're going to game plan to stop Fred and OG, and they have to figure it out which they're way more than capable of doing so. Does it sound like Nick Nurse is uh, zeroing in on a rotation, or are we going to see a lot of dudes like we saw in game one? Man, you never know with Nick. Yeah. Nick, Nick may he pull anything out of his hat. You know, I think, you know, I think he enjoys the fact to have an, a, a deep rotation that, that can help players you know, with rest, that can find the rhythm. And just finding out, once again, this is a young team, so you're still trying to find out. The preseason isn't like it used to be back in the day where you had two-a-days for three weeks and preseason was almost for, for, for a whole month. Preseason is real quick and you're right in the games. So one thing about it is you're still using some of these early games to figure out who can do what. Yeah. So that's one of the things Nick Nurse is going to be doing. But he's, he's special when it comes to figuring things out. Um, putting his hat on the table and then just saying, all right, let's go for it. Let's go for Brooke. He'll take chances. So we'll figure it out. But at some point, he'll narrow it down and figure out what's best for the team. Who, who teased you a little bit with their – I know they used uh, – I'm counting them up now – five guys off the bench in game one. They went ten deep in game one. Was there anyone that you saw that you'd like to see more of in game two or might – or you think might get a little more minutes in, in game two? I think I think Delon might get get some more minutes. I think he did a great job coming in, using his length, u- using um using his ability to handle the ball, and he sparked the team a little bit. But that that happens. So it's it's once again it's still early. But I really I like the young guys. I like I like Scotty. I like all these guys, and just figuring it out. And once again, they are so young, and, yeah. and this league is something where you're playing against guys every night that's so good. And that's a new experience as well. Even you take someone like Precious Achua, his second year, but he hasn't played this amount of minutes, these meaningful minutes forever, ever in the NBA. So this is a learning process for him as well. So one or two guys, they're going to step up, and you're going to start seeing them become more and more comfortable, more and more consistent. But right now, I'm still figuring that out as well. Yeah, it's funny because Masai Jerry came on the show, and – both Jesse and I were saying like it felt like Masai was tempering expectations. And part of the reason why he was tempering expectations is that he was saying, listen, this is a young team. We're going to go through ups and downs. This is a young... And he kept saying this is a young team. How long did it take Alvin Williams before you started to feel comfortable on an NBA floor? Well, I was always, I was always comfortable because I did four years in college. So right. my college experience helped me. I played against the Allen Iversons, the Ray. I played against all of these guys. So, and they went, they left school before I did. So when I got there, I'm playing against these guys again. My challenge was actually when I first got traded to Toronto, and then I had to go on the bench. I had to start all over again where I felt I was ready. And then that part, my, my confidence wavered a little bit. So I had to regain my confidence. I had to do all those things. So I had to go through the ups and downs, but I was always comfortable. Once I stepped on the floor, 
I was always comfortable because I had coaches that gave me the confidence and they gave me the leeway to be creative and do what I was supposed to do. And I always focused on defense. So that helped me as well get right into the middle of the game. And I kept thinking that Boston was ready to take a next step, and I have yet to see that step. What do you think is holding them back? I don't know, man. That that that's interesting because with, with guys with the talent like Jalen Brown and yeah. and and Tatum, Tatum, like those guys are so good, and it's not translating into wins on a consistent basis, right? They they had the moment where they went to the Eastern Conference Finals and lost to Cleveland when Kyrie Irving got hurt, and they showed so much promise. And they're still very good, but I think they're going to have to figure out how to win. You can be as good as you want to be. But if you don't have the pieces and you don't have the mindset of how you're going to win, it's going to be a struggle every night. So those guys, they play hard. They play well. They're very good players. But sooner or later, they're going to have to start translating the wins. And they got some good pieces. They got Dennis Schroeder. They got Josh Richardson. So your perimeter, I think defensively, they're going to be better. So that may be a plus for them as well. Difference between good and great consistency. Alvin Williams, the difference between good and great is doing it all the time, uh, which is the challenge for Alvin Williams as the new color analyst of the Toronto Raptors. Before (laughs) I let you go, I I cannot leave the Philadelphia 76ers well enough alone. You have seen that team up close and personal. What's your reaction to what you've seen over the last six months in Philly? Well, well, you hear the reports about, you know, Ben Simmons, you know, needing a mental break or, you know, him touching that. Then it becomes a little more sensitive when you talk about things that he's going through. But, you know, I'll be wrong if I didn't say that I kind of saw something like this coming with, you know, the, the process. When they were having the process, they didn't have much leadership. They didn't have a lot of leadership in that locker room. They had a lot of guys from the G League. They were turning over the personnel a lot. They had young guys there, and they were trying to figure it all out. They were trying to build assets. They were trying to get trade value. But they didn't have a solidified leader that can help these guys at this moment to reach success, to reach notoriety financially. When you start becoming a better team and you're trying to go to the next level, they never had that. So now the younger guys are finding out on the fly. So that I think they lack that leadership. So when you have a Ben Simmons and when you have comments or when you have people not adapting well to this NBA life, and it's different. You can be a professional by getting paid, but you got to learn how to act like a professional. you got to really know what that word means. And I think they missed that during that process, that seven-year process. So this is a result of it, I think, and it's not going to something that's going to hold them back. They have to figure it out, of course. But hopefully Ben Simmons can, can receive or get some type of help that he really needs to get back there on the floor. Yeah, I wondered if Jimmy Butler might bring that professionalism when he stopped in Philadelphia. And that was when, it. Yeah, and then it was bounced that, that immediately. Was it. That that team that team would have been so so good with Jimmy Butler as that person that could help talent wise, but lead that locker room, hold everyone accountable, the team, the players, the coaches, and those people. But sometimes players like that they scare the management, they scare ownership, they scare other players. Yeah. But that's the type of player. That's who we had in a Charles Oakley. Charles Oakley wasn't as productive on the floor as Jimmy Butler was at that point of his career, but we had somebody that would hold us accountable when I was playing. So those things are so valuable when you're trying to when you're trying to build a winner. Uh, one day uh, we have to tell Charles our Oakley stories for 20 minutes, but I don't think we can do it oh, now. <laughs> 20, 20 minutes, it, it, that's not even enough. I, I don't even know if we can tell half of them on the air either, but that's a story for another <laughs> day. Al, uh, enjoy game one of the regular season. Love Thank hearing you. you on the broadcast, and I know the fans did too in the preseason. So enjoy it, and uh, we'll be listening tonight on Sportsnet 1. Thank you, brother. 
Be, be well. There is Alvin Williams in Boston uh, saying that he is going to join the McAuliffe family for steaks with my dad, who once cooked steaks for him, and he's never let it go. All right, time for the break. When we come back, the gold medal winning Canadian women's soccer team getting set for their first match on home soil since May of 2019. It's been a while. They picked up a gold medal along the way. Christine Sinclair and company will kick off their celebration tour in Ottawa tomorrow. Faisal, next on Tim and Friends. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Three minutes, three minutes, three months after winning gold in Tokyo, Christine Sinclair and the entire Canadian women's soccer team are back together in Canada this week. Tomorrow they'll play their first game on home soil since May of 2019 when they take on New Zealand in a friendly at TD Place in Ottawa in the first game of their celebration tour and offered the opportunity for this standing ovation that they richly deserve. Well, the two teams will also meet Stad Saputo in Montreal on Tuesday. Faisal Kamisa is with the team in Ottawa and he joins us now. What's going on, Faisal? How are you, man? I am uh, very cold, Tim McAuliffe, but very excited to be here for what should be an unbelievable uh, celebration and unbelievable occasion. Like, we're celebrating a Canadian soccer team winning a gold medal at the Olympics. That is worthy of the biggest of celebrations. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable to think that, you know, given what we've gone through in the last couple years, not only is it their first game on home soil since 2019, but they come back to Canada as the best team in the world. What's been the reaction in Ottawa and from the players being back in Canada? Many of them just went back to their club team immediately after Tokyo, right? I can tell you from the limited time I've been in this city, there is excitement. I know the place will be uh, loud and, and excited to celebrate these women and amongst the, the women as well. Look, they were excited to see each other and celebrate because, as you mentioned, they had to go back to their respective clubs and respective cities after winning. And uh, they didn't get a chance to properly, properly soak in the moment. As for you know, what this means kind of internationally, you win a gold medal, you would think, you know, rings and things change your perspective, but it hasn't exactly been the case. I asked Janine Becky and Steph LeBay what the perception of Canada is still internationally. They still think they're being disrespected. Yeah, to be honest, I still do think we're underplayed. Um, I don't think people give us the full respect on the international stage. And I mean, that is what it is. I'm not going to focus on, you know, what they think of us. Um, we know what we can achieve and we know that we've done what we've done because we've put in the hard work and we have the talent to do that again and again. Um, but we also know that because we haven't done it um, on the World on the World Cup stage, um, that is something that will change that um, view of Canada. And that is something we really want to go towards as a program. I think teams know we're a difficult team to play against, but I don't think anyone expected us to go out and win a gold medal so we you know we back ourselves and it's not about proving others wrong it's proving ourselves right and I think that's what we went and did in Tokyo and now it's just the fact that now we carry that that title as world champion so there is an expectation that it will be even more difficult for opposition to play us so I do think there's a long way to go to be respected among the the best in the world Uh, and we've been in the top 10 in the world since 2016 so I do you know take it a little personally that we aren't respected as as well as we should be but it's also on us to continue to be successful because after a while you just can't be ignored 
and it's hard to ignore the fact that they've medaled in three straight Olympics. That's something manager Beth Priestman told me as well. But she says, look, to gain that notoriety internationally, you have to do it in more than just the Olympics, echoing what Steph LeBay and Janine Becky told me too. So their focus after the celebration, of course, which is worthy and should be celebrated, uh, is to look as to how they can improve on the bigger stages, Tim. Okay, so I looked at the FIFA rankings earlier today, and I saw Canada ranked sixth in the world. And I just thought in my head, well, that's back-to-back bronze in two Olympics and then gold in the Olympics. I know that there's World Cups mixed in and that FIFA oftentimes will overrank their because they have nothing to do with the Olympics. They're probably punishing Canada. But that's kind of ridiculous to have Canada sixth on that list, is it not? Well, listen, this is what manager Priestman told me. She said, look, it's one thing to do it every four years, but there's a lot of time that accumulates between them, right? Especially when you throw in a pandemic and now it's every five years. And so you've got to get things done consistently and you've got to get things done against some of the bigger teams in the world as well. Canada has had success, of course, but just not to the level that they've wanted to beyond the Olympics, which are, of course, unbelievable in itself and should not be diminished in any way. But they they know themselves that they could be a little bit better when it comes to tournaments outside that. And they're just ready to try to tackle that challenge next. So rankings or no rankings, as Steph LeBay said, they don't really pay attention to that. They're just going to go out and play their game and continue to climb as much as they can. Okay, so it's New Zealand tomorrow, and they are the hosts of the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. Uh, along with Australia. So it'll be held in Australia and New Zealand. Um, The game, the gold medal game against Sweden, received the highest TV audience in Canada of any Olympic event with more than 4 million people tuning in. What are we expecting tomorrow in Ottawa? And I know that tickets are still available at the TD Place website. Well, again, if you have a chance to be here for this I think you should. Again, it's not every day you get to celebrate a Canadian soccer team achieving what these women were able to do. And so I know, you know, I've yelled at my family in Ottawa to make sure they're here and, you know, their kids are going to be here so they can witness in this moment. And and look, it's going to be special. There's 21 gold medalists that will be acknowledged and celebrated and I can't stress this enough, Tim. Like, we never thought a moment like this would happen in this country with this sport. It's here. Why not celebrate it and hope for more, you know? Yeah, without a doubt. And I know that Montreal will have the opportunity. And it just feels like uh, the lead-up to this has kind of been quick. No one really heard about it. There was a little bit of talk during the men's game in Toronto. But it, it, it feels like we're on the precipice of soccer slash football taking another step in this country. I was there when Canada beat Panama and Alfonso Davies went off. That comes on the heels of the gold medal. Like, you and I have followed soccer in this country for a while. Does it not feel like we're close to, like, another giant step and this Saturday could be a part of it? Tim, it feels like we're there, right? Like, it feels like we're already living in that moment. And please, there's still room for people to join us in that ride because there is room for everybody. And you mentioned, you know, the the Panama goal. And, hey, listen, that was not just a... Canada soccer highlight. That's a Canada sports highlight for all time. Much like Canada winning a gold medal at Tokyo 2020 isn't just a Canada women's soccer accomplishment. That is a Canadian accomplishment through and through. And so please come on board. I'm telling you all, this sport is so fun. 
And when it's played on an international level, to the extent that it is in the Olympics and in the World Cup, sporting events and life events, if you're me, just don't get bigger than that. And so please, I'm begging you, if you're not <laughs> part of it yet, just try it out. I promise you will enjoy it. Are the uh, Listen, I've spent some time in the supporters section known as the Voyageurs. Uh, are they going to be there tomorrow? Yes, they will. Uh, to my left and, and to the back, they will, of course, be here. And, you know, again, they were loyalists at one time that were the only ones really following this sport. And so they are very much amongst those. We don't have to have that anymore. They got a section, yes, but there's a whole rest of the stadium waiting for others to, to be part of it. They will, of course, be here. They will be loud. They the will chance. be supportive. I imagine yeah. everyone that will be here will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and lead the chance. Yeah. So uh, it's a good place for people to learn, a good place for kids to learn, and hopefully grow up not just as a select few that follow this sport, but as a mass of a country that does just that. And uh, they've paved the way for the support, and now it's time, like I said, for everyone else to kind of come along too. Uh, Faisal, great catching up with you. Uh, get the uh, get the toque on. I know you didn't want to mess the hair for the interview, so you didn't put it to But don't be afraid. Like us bald men over here, just put the toque on. You're fine. Us bald men? Okay. Thank you, man. No, I, was me, I meant me. I didn't. You got a full head of hair. You got like a two oh, head oh, so versus my eight head. You said we head. over there, but there's just yeah. you over there, so well, let's just be specific, just, all right? Fine. Thanks, I think, Tim. I think people with eyes could see it, but... Uh, <laughs> Yes, we've taken care of everyone. Faisal, great catch it up with you, my dude. Congratulations on your lush head of hair and being able to show it off on national <laughs> TV. We'll talk to you again soon. See ya, man. All right, there's Faisal Kamisa in Ottawa. Again, uh, TD Place website is where I have the tickets that are available for kickoff 3 p.m. Eastern time in Ottawa. Then they go to Stad Saputo in Montreal, and hopefully there is a standing ovation waiting for these women because they uh, richly deserve it. We brought up uh, the men just for a split second, and mm. the women, obviously, even at six, are much higher than the men. But the gap closing a little bit, Jesse, uh, FIFA released their world rankings a little earlier this week, and Canada has climbed to 48. It's the first time that they are in the top 50 in a long time. In fact, in fact since the turn of the century, uh, in October of 2016, they were 110th. It is amazing to see how quickly this is moving for the men's side to get near. Where the, I'm not saying they're going to get to six, but to get closer, to close the gap with the women. That just looks like a trend to me. Like That looks like the, the program is moving in the right direction. That's what that means. When you put that up there and you have triple digits, then it goes to 90-something, then it goes to 70-something, and now we're all the way down at 48. It just means that the program as a whole is moving in the right direction. And, like, you can feel the excitement when it comes to these international events. You can feel it from Faisal. And, like, when you're covering events like this, like, a lot of times when it's franchises and organizations, like, as media members, like, you can't frown upon to cheer and openly root for a team. Mm -hmm. But, like, this is Canada. And this is something worth getting excited about. We can all get excited about it together because, obviously, the women have accomplished what they've accomplished. And now the men are certainly trending in the right direction. So, it. It's a very exciting time. Are you a soccer, soccer guy? Fan. Like, did you grow up a soccer guy, or were you like? Have no, you ever I was gone down focused on on hockey primarily growing up, but I, I played Is on my high school team for a little bit. Okay, so you wasn't played very good. So you played a little bit. Yeah, it wasn't very. You good. played a little. Bit. I was just wondering a lot if of red cards. And what Faisal was speaking to was the periphery fan. Like, listen, um, we're good at curling, mm -hmm. and people love watching 
when Canada is good at something, right? right? And now we're getting good at soccer. And you pull on that maple leaf and people who might not be accustomed to watching whatever sport it is, they get involved. And I, I just wonder if, listen, Faisal's in it. Uh, I've been in it for a while and I love it. And the bandwagon uh, was probably jumped on when I was about 16 or 17 years old. But I wonder how many just pure sports fans are starting to jump on now. Yeah. It's not one of those things you should be embarrassed about jumping on the bandwagon. Like it's your country. No, and it's, it's fun. Cool. And yeah. it's fun because it's, there's a different crowd at a proper football match. And we might see that proper crowd this weekend in Ottawa. All right, for those of you watching on Sportsnet, Hockey Central is coming up. Meanwhile, Tim and Friends continues on Sportsnet 360. In 60 seconds, we'll talk NFL Week 7, Nate Burleson, and give you our picks against the spread. We're a little warm. I don't know if you've heard, but we're a little warm. Johnson cuts back, and touchdown, Cleveland. What a drive. Keenum keeps, flips, pass, caught, touchdown, Stanton. Setting up a screen for Williams, and touchdown, Denver. Put a little pressure now on Cleveland on this next offensive possession. They hand off, Johnson again. Wow, I think we know who's getting the game ball after this one. Yeah, the offensive line. Week number seven in the <laughs> National Football League Ooh. underway with a right. huge win for Cleveland as they beat the Broncos 17-14 to move to 4-3 and three in one of the toughest divisions in all of football. Without Baker Mayfield, without Nick Chubb, without Kareem Hunt, a less than 100% Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. Brown somehow gets some breathing room uh, thanks to Case Keenum and Ernest Johnson along with that O-line. Here to help us break it down and get you set for the rest of the week is our friend Nate Burleson who joins me now. What up, Nate? How you doing, man? What's good? Yeah, I feel you on that. The, the game ball should go to the big fellas, the hog mollies. Um, but but <laughs> Ernest Johnson, I mean, come on. He was grooving and moving, shaking and baking in that game. Yeah, he looked good. He looked good. I just I feel like in in a world of overstatements, me saying yeah. that this was an absolutely huge win for the Cleveland Browns wasn't an overstatement. Like, they absolutely needed this, given the division that they play in. And uh, whether it was the running back and the O-line, a combination of even Case Keenum running play action or enough play action, completing enough passes to keep people honest, like, they did their job as a group. No doubt, Tim, you're spot on because there's certain games as a player where um, the odds are stacked against you. And really, if we take a nail, uh, nobody would hold it against us. You know how many times I went to a game where we didn't have our starting quarterback or maybe uh, Calvin Johnson was out in Detroit or Randy Moss was banged up. And we could have walked away from that game with the nail and really patted ourselves on the back and say, all right, let's just get them when everybody gets healthy. But no, the Cleveland Browns were like, look, we might be down some guys, some major figures on our team. We got guys coming back, Jarvis Landry getting back in the lineup. But let's just get this win. And in the AFC, which is absolutely stacked, these wins are crucial. And the fact that Deionis Johnson went out there, and we know that the backfield for the Browns is already stout. Nick Chubb is a beast. Cream Hunt is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Deionis Johnson, I feel like we should name, name change his name to uh, he earned this Johnson because he <laughs> earned this opportunity for us to continue to say his name on a weekly basis. Uh, I'm just going <laughs> to. He did earn this. <laughs> he did earn this. Um, I've always felt like 
this team turned a corner when they realized that they were a running football team, even with Baker Mayfield? And this is a dangerous question for you, Nate, and I understand it, given the fact that Cleveland has gone through uh, more quarterbacks than I've gone through hair replacement techniques. However, is Baker Mayfield the guy? But you haven't been to Istanbul yet. You ever seen that Istanbul IG where they be having a lineup right above the eyebrows? <laughs> like, come on now. That is crazy. I haven't, but uh, I'm but, Googling right now. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, Baker Mayfield is legit. He's legit for what you want in this office. Now, you have to look um, – almost predictably down down the line is is your team going to be based around the run for the next handful of years i believe nick chubb is a guy that you can get on home count this discount you already have kareem hunt now you have dearness johnson so do you need a quarterback that can grip and rip it no you don't need patrick mahomes uh, you don't need a, a tom brady type you don't need a, a quarterback that can get the ball out of his hands faster than peyton manning in his front you need a quarterback that can take care of the rock and what baker mayfield has proved last year and some parts of this year you know if you exclude a couple of mistakes here and there that he can take care of the ball i think baker mayfield is a perfect fit for this offense but more importantly and this is an element maybe people don't want to hear but i'm going to keep it real this is what we do he's a perfect fit for the city now i know what it's like to play in Cleveland. I, I, I've been in those locker rooms where, you know, the players talk worse about the team than the opposing fans do. Right. And Baker Mayfield has embraced this squad even before the draft when he was like, you know what? I want to go to Cleveland. I want to help turn things around. And you know what? He did. So there's all of these reasons why I would say keep Baker Mayfield, pay him the big money. The question is how big, though? I mean, with Patrick Mahomes breaking the bank, getting a half of Billy, and Lamar Jackson playing the way he's playing, you know, he's going to ask for something crazy. How much is Baker Mayfield going to ask for, and will that hamstring the team and put them in a position where they won't be able to build around them in the future? I can't wait till Little Wayne does a Billy, a Billy, a Billy, a Billy, <laughs> a Billy, a Billy. Billy. <laughs> um, is the Ravens? I mean, this this division is getting interesting, and the Steelers oh. have a bye week uh, right now. I don't know. I don't know if they're the worst team in the division. Is the Bengals and Ravens the game of the week? I know the Chiefs-Titans is pretty good, but there's a lot of caca in the slate. Yeah, it's, it's one of the games of the year. And who would have thought at, at this point in the season, 2021, that this game would be so exciting, the Bengals and the Ravens, for a top of the division? Let me say that again. The Bengals and the Ravens for the top of the division yeah. in the AFC North. You know, I saw this photo. It was a meme of um, – the Ninja Turtles and Splinter was tall and he had these little Ninja Turtles around them and he's walking and then they showed the same picture years later where Splinter was kind of hunched over and the Ninja Turtles were big and they basically were saying Splinter was the Steelers and now Splinter is old and the Ninja Turtles are grown and the Ninja Turtles are of course everybody else within that division and look at it right here you got the Rangers at five and one and Lamar is getting better and better almost scary good you know, forget about the whole thing. Well, he can't throw the ball. He needs to be more like Patrick. He can throw the ball and run the ball. The Bengals, that, that Jamar Chase combination with Joe Burrow is something different. And the yes. Browns, regardless of their record, I mean, they scare every single team. There isn't a team that can take the Browns lightly anymore. I remember a, a, a time in the NFL where we would look at, and how's this for a parody in the league, the Bills, the Browns, the Detroit Lions still, but those were the homecoming games. And you would line up and tell yourself, one, we're going to get the win, but I'm about to put up crazy numbers and pad my stats. It's not the case anymore, man. As much as I talked about the NFC West before the season started, I should have been talking about the AFC North. 
Uh, all right, so Lamar Jackson, and I remember when people were talking about figuring him out and he's just a runner and all of these things. Like, this, this performance this year might be better than his MVP year. Yeah, and I believe he has an opportunity to go get the MVP again. Yeah. Um, you know, we were making selections before the season, and my mind kept telling me, pick Lamar, pick Lamar. There's no way you can figure this out. I mean, look at these highlights. And, and remember when I said, well, he's too slight. He's going to get banged up. He's going to take that one hit, and it's really going to sit him on the sideline and humble him. Look at him. He gets down. We're talking surrounded by four or five guys. He knows how to take care of his body. He's, he's less reckless with his body than some of our favorite quarterbacks. I mean, Josh Allen is still hurtling dudes. I mean, who was his quarterback's coach? Can you tell him <laughs> to stop hurtling dudes? Lamar Jackson, he sees a defender. One, he, he, uh, this is what he does. He goes, process of, uh, uh, process of elimination. All right, let me figure out what I need to do in order to get to where I need to go. All right, I can either go around him. Most of the guys I'm faster than. I can shake him because most of the guys I can shake. And then if there's too many individuals, I'm just going to dive at the ground and they can hit me because we protect quarterbacks in this league. And then once he figures out the best route to where he wants to go, he makes the decision. Um, Lamar Jackson is scary good. The reason why I'm so excited about him, and you are too, Tim, I can hear it in your voice, it's not just about his running ability. He had a couple of games throwing the ball this year yeah. that were better than everybody in the league. Forget about him improving as a quarterback. He had games where he was the best quarterback in the NFL. So that right there gets me excited. And Latavius Murray, as we're showing these highlights, has showed up and showed out. Yeah, they got, they got a, an assortment of running backs. If they get a little bit of a running game with, I, I think they're the best team in the division, and they might be pressing, given all these injuries, to be 5-1, and one, they might be pressing to be the best team in the AFC. Um, we'll leave Splinter well enough alone in that division, and I want to ask you a question that yeah. it, it's, it's so – when the NFL went after Deflategate and the, and the New England Patriots, they released an in-depth 243-page report about the Patriots and Deflategate. And then they come out and they say, we're not going to say anything that we've found in the investigation on a toxic work environment with the Washington football team yet. It doesn't matter if we call BS, but if I'm Robert Kraft, I might call BS. Do you ever think that you'll see something like that where someone else, another owner, breaks rank and says, like, wait a second here. Where's the 243-page report for them? There is a fraternity. Um, And it's not just amongst the players. Um, The coaches, of course, we know this. GMs. But we know the owners. Um, They have this brotherhood. But when it comes to football versus workplace environment, um, you know, we want to get some clarity on certain things. And to be honest, as much as we appreciate the game and we love football and we want to focus on what's going on in between those lines, we want to know what's going on within these organizations, uh, that we have a, a workplace where everybody feels welcome, regardless of the color of your skin, your gender, your cultural background, sexual preference. Uh, we want to make sure that we, as an inclusive league, remain that. Exactly. I hopped off the plane here in L.A., and right out, right off the the right out of baggage claim, a guy ran up on me. He's like, "Hey, hey, 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 Nate, uh, I'm with TMZ. Can we talk about John Gruden?" And uh, I was like, "One, I, I didn't know I was that recognizable. Two, he had an Australian accent, kind of threw me off. And three, <laughs> the fact that he's asking me about John Gruden still means that people still want answers. Um, so the the reason that I bring that up is because um, there are questions out there, and there are concerns. 
And the NFL is in a position where they can't explain what's going on, not just through the emails and exchange between Gruden and, and Allen, but also what's going on in certain workplace environments. And I think another thing that should be done if we are doing this and the NFL will release maybe some, some papers on what has happened in those organizations, highlight some of the organizations, most of the organizations, majority of the organizations in the league, high percentage of them, organization in the league that do it the right way right. because i played for four teams and those were great workplace environments uh nate always uh always like catching up with you no matter what the environment uh, i'm glad you got past the tmz in la do they just like hang out in la like that's what it seems like they, they sit at lax and wait for someone to walk out and then just bombard them yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I try to figure out how they recognize me. I oftentimes peek at their phone. I'm like, all right, is he Googling me? And I saw a little split screen yeah. between myself and Don Cheeto. So I think he was confused. He was like, is this, is this Don Cheeto? You know what I'm saying? But, uh, but yeah, he ran up on me, and I, I had to keep it real just because, uh, you know, I don't want to ever walk away from TMZ. They have always showed me love. Um, and lastly, uh, but not least, you always make jokes about your bald head, I tell you. It's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. I appreciate it. I'm still trying to find that Istanbul uh, hair restoration <laughs> thing. And all I ended up with Turkish hair restoration website. So I don't think that's what we're talking about. Uh, Nate Doc, appreciate you. Be well. Enjoy L.A. All right, man. Have a good one. Uh, there is Nate Burleson joining us uh, after being hit by TMZ. I think that's a level of celebrity I do not want to get to. Yeah, absolutely not. I couldn't find anything on the Istanbul hair find it either, eh? transplant or treatment yeah. either. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's something. Uh, I think it's something that Nate might have to might have to send our way. Yeah, that's uh, an off-air conversation. Like I will say this: uh, I want to stay away from that level of, of celebrity. However, <laughs> if we stay as warm as we have stayed on our NFL picks against the spread. We might just hit it. A uh, combined 15 and 5 against the spread. Our Jesse Rubinoff and me, Timothy. I might be 10 and 2, but I will allow you. I feel like you're being very kind, allowing me sort of on this bandwagon. But I I'll will take allow it. you to make your picks first as well. Oh, okay. All right. This week I'm going with two road teams the Cincinnati Bengals. Their offense is great, their defense is underrated. I know Nate just came on here and, and we've discussed it all last week about how good Lamar Jackson is. I get that. I understand that. I agree with that. But I still think the Bengals keep it closer than six and a half points. And the Colts as well uh, in Santa Clara. Jimmy G's coming back. I'm not too sure what to expect from Jimmy Garoppolo. And Carson Wentz has been a little bit sneaky good. they got a good run game. Defense is pretty good. So give me the two road teams, Bengals and Colts, for me. I and I'm going to be 7-3 and three at the end of the week. I love it. It's the road dog, Jesse Rubinoff, as he takes two road dogs here on our pick segment. Uh, I'm going... A little bit different here, actually. Taking the Raiders at home against the Eagles. I took them in their rally game last week, and they treated me very well. In mm -hmm. fact, it was almost over at halftime. I think they're still undervalued at minus three versus the Eagles. Give me Vegas at home. And I'm taking the Bears plus 13 at Tampa. It's just that the Bucks are still banged up, and not enough people realize it because Tom Brady is Tom Brady. Yeah. They only beat Philly by six. I realize this is at home, but I like Chicago to keep it close. So give me the Bears plus 13 and the Raiders minus three for my two picks. All right, let's stay hot. Um, I do have to address that next week I won't be able to make picks. Obviously, we've discussed wedding on Thursday. Yes. Kevin Mickey will be in here making picks, but I need a way to track Kevin Mickey's picks because he's, he's one and three on the year. 
we kind of had, dragged the show down. We yeah, can't afford. Yes, yeah, it was we, t- talking junk and right. Yeah, went so, one and three. So the the Carolina Hurricanes, Montreal Canadiens going back at each other on tour. So that got us thinking. Yeah, uh, we need to maybe get a website going. What? Did Kevin Mickey lose? Dot <laughs> com. So I figure that is the best way. No, that is rough. <laughs> so that's how I'm going to find out whether Kevin's picks made it as I'm recovering from the weekend that is on Thursday. So uh, good luck, if Kevin. You, I, like, you got a lot to do. It's wedding week. Yeah. I will allow it. If you want to send in some picks somewhere along the road. Can I FaceTime the show on Friday? By all means, you're you're a part of the crew. Yeah, I might have to do that. That would be fun. I don't know if your wife will allow it. <laughs> Time for a break. Well, maybe she will, and that's another story for another day. Last call up next. Jesse Rubinoff will take the way. We'll be able to the best of the week winners stick around. I'm just saying because, like, if there's nothing else to do the day after your wedding with right. FaceTime odds, then maybe no. Sorry, Kev. You voted, we counted your best of the week winner. A bit of a shocker. But you folks love Scotty Barnes. Okay, so is, is Scotty close to you right now? Like, if I ask you a question about Scotty, can you speak, like, uh, your mind? Or is he right there and he's going to hear everything that you say? Scotty! I don't see him, so I can't. So ask me, tell me. All right. I will lie. A, lo- a lot of fans <laughs> wanted you to take Jalen Suggs over Scotty. These are one of those things that can come back and haunt you. Are you comfortable that that player that we are zooming out to see is is the right guy for you guys? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And look, this things. Uh, this is why we do our jobs. We've done our homework. We've. Oh, is he right here? Just come say hello. Say, come say hi. Tell them we say sorry. And then you can. Yeah, we say sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, I know you've been on their show before. Say what's so. up. How y'all doing? You know the vibes. Scotty Barnes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> Tell him sorry to interrupt. I know he can't hear me. Hey, we're going to be two hours here, so you can't work out. <laughs> you wait. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know he's a rookie when he says we'll wait. Uh, that's awesome. I, I think we need to use Scotty every time a highlight shows up on our network. Uh, Raptors, Celtics, Sportsnet won less than 10 minutes away from now. 37.5% of the vote it won with four really good options this week. Yeah, there were. Very, very good. Um, okay, fun game in Golden State last night between the Warriors and Clippers, and it was Chef Curry cooking up a feast. The two-time MVP dropping 45 large in a 115-113 victory. We talked MVP earlier this week, but didn't really give Steph his due, I don't think. Can he win MVP again? Yes, yes he can. The answer is very quickly and absurdly so, yes. He was 9 of 9 in the first quarter for 25 points. Even LeBron James was jaw-dropped on Twitter. He had 45 in the game. The go-ahead triple. Uh, I think a lot of people have slept on the Warriors because of the last couple of years. And uh, if you haven't already maybe sprinkled a little on the Warriors, do so now. Mm-hmm. I think Steph Curry is the most exciting player to watch I've ever watched playing basketball. Um, Steph, Steph Curry doesn't do basketball. He does art. Very nice. Mm. Like that, I don't even know if that's a hot take because... Well, watch what we watched last night. It was unbelievable. Like, there's very few people in the world that can put on a performance like that. That's the chuckles per 60. Yes. Right? I mean, just make you laugh watching them. Yeah. Um, We got to talk about his Golden State Warriors teammate, 
Clay Thompson. Yeah, right, to see the court. Uh, the NBA has been dropping their 75 best players of all time this week. Curry made the list, obviously, but like every list that gets made in 2021, people are divided. This time, it's not fans voicing their displeasure. It's Curry's teammate, Clay Thompson, the three-time NBA champ, a little outspoken on Instagram over the last 24 hours after being snubbed from the list. Let's have a look at the Instagram. Uh, last night, Clay posted saying, maybe I'm just naive in my ability to play basketball, but in my head, I'm top 75 all time. Today he wrote, woke up this morning, still pissed about this stupid bleep list. Do you think he should be on it, Tim? I think he's in stupid ass list. I think that's right, what there he's, you go. I think that has to be said. Uh, <laughs> first off, these lists are always stupid. They're meant to do what they're doing right now, which is cause controversy, cause reactions, and cause debates. Um, I thought it would be weighted towards current players because it would draw you know, more conversation out mm. of it. But leaving Clay off the list is an example of, the, the thing that shocked me the most here was the reaction of other people. Like, you don't deserve to be on the list. Sometimes basketball fans are such star bleepers that they're so worried about numbers and stats, they forget about winners. And Clay Thompson is a winner, and he created an environment that allowed the Warriors to do what they did, which was win three titles. With He defends well, he scores well, he wins, and he doesn't demand the ball. If I had more time, I would weigh even heavier into this one, but maybe next week we can get into it. Dwight Howard also snubbed. Some big names. Yeah, he's not so much of a winner. Uh, that does it for us. The Raptors and Celtics coming up on Sportsnet 1. Draw 16 of the Grand Slam of Curling Masters can be seen on Sportsnet now. Game 6 ALCS coming up 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet. But before we go, a look back at the week that was on Tim and Friends. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you on Monday. It's Friday then. It's Saturday, Sunday. What? It's Friday then. Oh, is he right here? Just come say hello. How y'all doing? You know the vibes. Scotty Barnes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> next Thursday is the actual wedding, or next Thursday you're gone? Next Thursday is the actual wedding, and I'm here up until Wednesday. Oh, wow, look but at today, that. I gotta be honest, today was the first day where she actually sent me like the majority of the details for the wedding. Like, right. like I, I know where it is, but that's about all I knew. She has taken care of everything. She's amazing. Uh, <laughs> that was a good add-on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was an awesome add-on. It was a better add-on. Well played, sir. And in my head, I was like, wait 10 years, you won't add that on anymore. But whatever. Sorry, what was that? Uh, I don't know, but people are writing Oh, my in collar's popped. Yeah. Hey, I'm trying to pop my collar. What that's the hell are you talking about? Ever since I can't remember, I've been popping my collar, popping, popping my collar, popping, popping my collar, popping, popping my collar, popping, popping my collar. People are writing in. They're just like, you can't have your collar pop for more than two minutes. People are gonna say something. Ooh, who says you can't have your collar? Oh, careful, McCallum. You like your collar pops. You look like the Riddler. <laughs> have you ever heard of manscaping? Like, what the manscaping? <laughs> this is copping all over, baby. It's free. Oh. <laughs>
Apparently it's free. I can't see you, so I can't see what you're doing. <laughs> you don't have a monitor in the uh, desk the there? The monitor's on this, on our, oh, that's, that's, I can't see what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, well, when you look, I mean, you've done that to me before, where I do things and you just stare blankly into the screen, so it's not out of the normal. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend.